what's up, you witches and hoes and losers? Hey, you calling me a loser? No, it's just from The Sweetest Thing, one of my favorite 90s movies. Oh, that is a good movie. Yeah, it is. You know, Cameron Diaz, ow. Christina uh, Applegate, ow. Ooh, babe. Selma Blair, ow. Ooh, Selma Blair? Yeah. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, so you're all welcome for that imagery. Well, anyway, you're back here in the Green Room Podcast. It's me, Pat, and Megan. Megan, how are you? I'm good. I'm tired. I My butt cheeks are sore from walking around Brooklyn. I was there for yeah. the past like five, six days. How was it? It was super cool. I didn't even actually make it into Manhattan. Uh, we At least we're in, we went into Chelsea so we could go see uh, Washington Square Park. And that was cool. Get to see the arch That's and cool. the fountain, you know. Yeah. yeah. And basically we just kind of walked around and ate or drank whatever looked good. Dang. Yeah, whatever place looked cool. We went to a barcade. I schooled at some Star Wars pinball. Actually, I was better oh, at really? the Ghostbusters one. Oh, Ghostbusters pinball? I haven't played that game in forever. I remember it was really popular when I was a kid. It like, was every really bar fun. It. And like every time I go to the pinball bar here in town, I play like half a game and I'm like, I'm bored. I'm leaving. Bye. Like every time. But I actually had fun when I was in New York and now it kind of makes me want to go you want to go back yeah. or you want to go just well, play I, pinball? Well, now I feel like I would have fun at tilt. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what? I still have a whole big wad of coins from tilt. All right. Well, we'll go when I come back from where I'm going tomorrow. Yeah. You're going to be gone for like a month, right? Yeah. So this month is going to be really exciting though. Um, I'll be on tour with Sodown for a portion of that. And then also I get to go peep out the new Meow Wolf in Denver. They're throwing yes. a show called The Dark Palace and it's like- right. Claude Von Stroke and Charles the First and like twenty other artists. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a, it's going to be kind of like their kickoff, right? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I think it might be some sort of like soft launch situation. Okay. Because it's like listed at the National Western Complex, not at Meow Wolf. Not at Meow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that I'm not really sure like how the correlation is. It says the cap is 6,300 people, which would be by far. The largest room I'd ever played to, but sure. I, I know it won't be full for me or that, that like, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I'm wondering the, the logistics yeah. of what's really going on. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. I know what you're saying. I know but what you're saying. I, I'm curious. And I mean like Meow Wolf's amazing. So I don't, it's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Like they just, have just a tra- they just have such a track. I'm not really sure what's up. And for those of you guys who don't know, Meow Wolf is a venue in Santa Fe, which is like, I'd say it's more of an art installation. Than well, a venue. It started as an art installation sort of scenario. Actually, you can watch a documentary on it on either Netflix or Hulu. I'm sorry, I don't recall off the top of my head right now, but it's only like 30 minutes long. Okay. And it's just a bit about how Meow Wolf got started. It was essentially like nine to 10 people who were just artists and homies. Mm-hmm. And they were, somebody was like, yo, if we got a space, you know, if we bought like a, or if we started to rent like a, house or a multi-room sort of warehouse space like who would throw down yeah so they got like 10 people to do this and they would just go there like every waking second that they weren't having other obligations and they would just make things out of trash and just like build installations with each other and then they started to like i think just bring in people to play music while they could so they could work to it you know Right. But that like sort of took on like a life of its own, I believe. And it right. just grew into this sort of like parties where art was happening. And now it's become mm-hmm. this like iconic venue. That's just this ever changing art installation that has large electronic and well, not just electronic, like, yeah, large acts performing over, at it. Yeah. It's all over the place. 
yeah, it's really cool. So if you guys are ever down in Santa Fe, go check out Meow Wolf. But also, they are now opening up a new location in Denver. So everybody's really excited about that. So if you're out in Denver... Or um, like in yeah. that close enough, like if you're visiting Denver, everybody seems to be visiting Denver. Or if you're bored, the flights are not that expensive. Um, yeah, but it's then November unfortunately 22nd. you have to fly Frontier for that. Nuh-uh. For I fly Delta for like a hundred. No, my flight was $171 and it was Delta. Yeah, but I don't know. I've been a lot of crazy places in the last bit here. I got to go to LA and I just got to go to NYC and that was really cool. We yeah, no, we already, in the last episode, we talked about your LA trip, but let's talk about your New York City trip. So Megan, our last episode was Halloween last Thursday and it was with our homie K-Lab. But after that, you went out to New York City. You were in Brooklyn, you and Maddie O'Neill, and you guys had... It was November 1st, right? Mm-hmm. A November 1st show. Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit about that. It was fun. It was at the Knitting Factory. Um, I got to see somebody who's actually living in Duluth right now, who's from Brooklyn originally, whose mom lives like three blocks from the Knitting Factory. So who's that? I got to go kick it there. Um, Path Hanu. Okay. Uh, Not have met him before. I have? Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. At all our shows with the Red Herring and stuff. But anyway, um, that was super fun. And then we got to go see, uh, Jake was super nice. And uh, I guess Jake and Joe, love you guys. Uh, they put us on the guest list for the Talk Manic, about Focus, Manic Focus, Focus show. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Jake is the drummer of Manic Focus. Joe McCartan is his brother, manager, well, John's brother, John McCartan, who is Manic Focus and Joe is his manager. So that's cool. And they were playing at the Brooklyn Bowl. You told me earlier, right? Yeah. Which I had never been to before and is also pretty iconic. It's a bowling yeah. alley with a venue yeah. on the like left side of it. So like the venues like behind it, like pair or perpendicular to the lanes. What's the cap like that? I like would probably there? say like. 700 oh so it's nice and intimate and um it's a huge room the ceilings are enormous like and the and because the bowling alley takes up so much space too which is like an open part of the room it's not like a separate separated at all really oh really there's like a median but you can like it's four feet tall you know okay like it's just a yeah. bar basically for you to put your drinks on sure yeah, yeah but yeah we actually ended up going back there to go bowling which that's I haven't cool. done in a really long time. That was fun. You said that's why your ass cheeks hurt? Yeah, my left <laughs> ass cheek is really killing me right now. You know, that's not a motion that you do all the time. I guess I need to do more squats. So yeah, stop I'll, playing I darts. I'll, stop playing darts. Start bowling bar. Darts make my bicep hurt. I know. I Dude, we actually had that conversation a couple weeks ago. Everybody we, here is just going to be like, you guys are geriatric as fuck. <laughs> we're, we're old. We're all old. No, they're, they're just... Like motions you don't make normally, you it's don't true. make a like a like a weird taut, like snake a weird motion throwing. with your arm all the time. You're not <laughs> always like bending just on your left leg and swooping your right right one behind and throwing yeah. as hard as you can with your like. Yeah. I am toe up right now, honestly, because we walked like 25 miles too while we were there. So oh, of course, just, yeah, like, New York. I'm just sore, and like my left ass cheek's like a little extra sore. Right. How's um How's Maddie doing? She's good. She just put out a new EP, so y'all right. should go listen to that if you haven't already. And then, speaking of Manic Focus, if you're in Minneapolis, he's playing here. It'll be November 15th, Friday, November 15th, yeah. at the First Ave Main Room, so go check out Manic Focus. It's and with, uh, Daily Bread. And Hawks. And Guggins. And Guggins. That's right. Guggins is playing. Yeah. Guggins opened up for him in, I think it's in Denver, or wherever he was playing. Yeah. Anyway, so, we're gonna, so we're going to kind of keep this... Uh, Short and sweet because we have one of our favorite guests of all time, uh, Ben Cantile. Yeah, this interview was seriously 
it was amazing, man. Like it has, it has everything. It has good jokes. It has some good advice. It has some spirituality. Uh, it's a great person to talk to. Ben Cantile from the Zebler and County Experience. Our first guest tonight is introducing special guests. Let's do this. You're listening to Green Room Podcast. This is Encanti, and you are listening to the Green Room Podcast. for joining us man i really appreciate it especially being that you are over the pond right now um and i think permanently well i mean like indefinitely so uh thanks for joining us what time is it over there it is 5 15 p.m right here so okay. evening for me morning for you right yeah it's like yeah. 11 here 
Yeah. So. Yeah. So how did you how did you find yourself over there? I know just from briefly with talking with Megan, you were teaching in teaching in Valencia. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. I've spent the last six years teaching at Berkeley Valencia as part of their music production technology and innovation program. I originally went out there in 2013 and it was right at the beginning of this new program. So it was in, very much in the conceptual phase and getting in on the ground floor. Um, I got to write my own class and kind of build this world around me. And now it's, it's a master's program and uh, it is uh, the, the, the most uh, popular one uh, at the school. We, Every year, I think we pack about two years worth of curriculum into 10 months. So it feels like a big master's degree intensive. And I really super enjoy it over there. But this year I'm taking a sabbatical and I'm basically away from teaching for the whole year just to focus on my music. Wow. And uh, you moved to Scotland. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I uh, moved here for love. It was the first time I've moved anywhere for love. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, How cute. Yes, How we cute. love it. How are you liking Scotland? Um, well, it is beautiful here. Um, I had never been to Scotland before I met uh, uh, Catherine. Um, I met this girl on New Year's night this last year in Guilin, China, which is, they appropriately call themselves the center of the universe. And, um, we, we met and just, you know, fireworks instantly in China. And, uh, she, um, has a really beautiful, uh, place here called Eagle Rock. And, um, basically it is kind of a, it's a really big house and she, um, rents it out. It's kind of a, a luxury lodge that you can stay at. And it's, it's the architecture and the design itself is beautiful. Um, like it was co-designed by some Tibetan monks who really know energy flow and feng shui. But the real feature out here is the silence. I, I'm from Alaska originally. Oh, wow. And I've never been anywhere other outside of Alaska that is so perfectly peaceful and also m- mind-blowingly beautiful. Yeah, it's, it sounds amazing, man. Uh, I personally have never been over there, but all the pictures I've seen of Scotland, is it's just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, we need to get to Europe, Pat. We need to get it together. I just need to get over. Yeah, it's somewhere in Europe, man. I need to get away from Stay Canada, Mexico. Stay in that young luxury lounge. Yeah. yeah this, but no, that's so cool, man. Um, so are you doing stuff like for just yourself or for the Z Project? Or I guess we could, you know, for people that aren't super familiar, perhaps with all the accolades that you have, uh, Ben is part of Z, Zebler and Conti Experience. The first time I ever saw y'all was, I think I played right before you at Lunar or Lunar Tide in Chicago, Illinois. And then, but we didn't get a chance to talk. I just remember like that you guys went after me and it was the first time I'd seen a, like this audio visual cohesive um, experience, I suppose. And then I got to actually like hang out with you guys when we went, we were at psychedelic sleepover way over in Maine, I was New, New Hampshire, Hampshire. New Hampshire. Croydon, yeah. New Hampshire. So anyway, we've been all over. You've been all over China, Scotland, Valencia, and all that. But um, so, are you working on stuff for Z or just for yourself? Well, Z is hard to dis like dis. Basically, I am the music of Z. <laughs> I'm kind of, uh, I produce, all the music I produce as Z is is actually, 
um, just you know, and Canty music. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, t- the two brands musically are not very separated. So yeah, I'm out here doing my own music, which means I'm doing music for Z, but <laughs> I'm also doing some, um, I'm also doing some commission stuff. Uh, I got a pretty cool like sync license the other day and then commercials and stuff. I'm trying to keep busy on my, um, on my sabbatical. That's awesome. Do you have any, um, like cool syncs you can talk about? We were actually just talking about these, um, on the last episode with K-Lab. So. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I actually just did a, uh, did a song for Facebook. (laughs) We we were just saying me too. (laughs) Oh, no way. Well, uh, Caleb, (laughs) that's awesome. Anyway. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, uh, it's actually, it was, uh, it was pretty fun project and pretty easy. And, um, basically they wanted something that was kind of trap and upbeat. They kind of gave some examples, kind of a Diplo thing. And I banged it out really fast and had a lot of fun with it. And I mean, I really kind of surprised myself by how, how easily a pop song just slid out of me. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I turned it around in just a couple days and it was, it was a really fun project. I I really, really enjoyed making music that my ego wasn't so attached to, you know? Did you find that the detachment of your ego helped the creative process? It kind of just had it helped bang it out, I guess. You know, actually, yeah, I think so. Um, I think that uh, I was, I, I I didn't feel the obligation to make a narrative that goes with the rest of my music that spoke to my audience specifically that really conveyed, you know, the deeper ideas that I like to, I like to play with in, in Z music. And it got to be just a, a realm to be, to, to try to make something that sounded kind of professional. It was fun. Awesome. I agree, man. It was a really fun uh, project to be able to deviate a bit from what I normally would do. I, I did, I was able to produce in like the BPM that I always produce in though. I just kind of gave it more of like a Moomba Latin sort of Diplo or major laser sort of vibe. So yeah, it was really fun. And I also was a bit surprised how easily a pop song slid right out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's great to, to be able to remind yourself that you could just, you know, turn around and, and bang out, you know, pop hits if you want to. I think that that's my going to be ultimately my retirement plan. When I'm tired of proving <laughs> myself as an artist, I'm just going to sell out. There you go. Yeah. Why not? It was Dude, like, I don't I, blame you. I really so, like producing for other people, to be honest. I like producing for like trying new things. I like the challenge of it. And I think it brings the new things to your own music when you go back to that anyway. So sure, the vers- I think being versatile in like all, you know, all types of aspects of production, mm-hmm. that can't be a bad thing, right? No. And, and uh, Ben, I just finished producing a three track EP for a good friend of mine named Jordy Vaughn. And it's like very Nora Jones, Amy Winehouse sort yeah, of. Yeah, like Tori, um, Tori, Tori Amy. Most vibes. Yeah. yeah. And Pat played on it as well, uh, played guitar for us. And it was really fun to have a collaborative project where we had like about six or seven different musicians and mixing and mastering artists um, working on this one thing that we were working toward for this one artist who's something that none of us play. I mean, the bassist it's, it's, was like a symphonic, he's like a symphonic upright bassist. Like you right. play in like reggae and funk bands and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was out of all of our wheelhouses. And I think that brings like so much to the table when you go back to your own stuff and when you bring yourself into that sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah it was that, a really cool awesome. thing. You know, I, I'm also, that's something I wanted to do on my sabbatical as well. Cause when I'm, 
working as a professor, um, it's a big job. It's a 24 hour job where you have to care about, um, a bunch of, of, uh, academic, you know, a bunch of scholars career path and you wear a lot of hats, you know, you, you, sometimes you're, you're the motivator. Sometimes you're the consoler. Sometimes you are, uh, just a friend, you know, and, uh, it, it did take up a lot of my energy being a teacher all the time. So taking a, taking a year off, I can, um, I, I can try out things that I've wanted to do. I've wanted to produce music for other people as well. Right now, I just finished a record for a uh, vo- vocalist uh, named Asara out of uh, Denver. Uh, you might know her, Jezere. I, Jezere? I don't, the, but I'll, I'm oh, definitely going to check that out. Well, she she's a fan of your stuff. I know I know that she went huh. to one of your shows at least one or t- or two of them at some point. But um, she she's a hip hop artist, but all of her stuff was improvised. All of her stuff was just flowing. So her and I got into the studio, and she uh, started just by recording flows, and then we took the best parts and turning them into songs. And then she started writing stuff down. So in, in a matter of two months, she went from having never written down a song to she wrote maybe 10 songs and we recorded like seven of them. That's so cool, man. That's, cool. That's a really cool way to do it as well. And I, I mean, I don't want to bring up R. Kelly, but we were just kind of discussing the other day about how he was like, you know, not like that Jezre is at all, but he was fundamentally illiterate. The way that he did write all of his hits was just by recording himself over and over again. And, and just kind of like playing like them a, back and then they would chop it and flow of the consciousness. Producer, type yeah, of stuff, exactly. Right? And the producer and then, would chop it yeah. up just like you, you have and create a masterpiece out of that. That's a really cool writing technique. I think, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about mixing up the, the writing process. There isn't one golden technique. Like you need to sit down and watch the sunset and write it into a, onto paper. You know, there, there isn't one way to, to write music. I was hanging out, with an artist, uh, maybe you know her. Her name is Seb Deliza. I don't. I'll have to check that oh, out, too. This is so awesome. Good. One of the best trip-hop artists, I think, of, wow. of the last couple of years. Hell yeah. Uh, but she works with a producer, and she um, she would write her songs, she told me, uh, while she uh, takes her morning run. She's really into fitness. She'd wake up in the morning, and she would just run and not listen to any music. She would just let lyrics come to her head. And uh, she told me that the songs that uh, are on her record, she wrote all of them that day. Whoa. The same day that she, that she thinks of the words. And there was a lot that, that a lot of power and essence that she got from channeling something that came to her just then. That is yeah. powerful. You know, I think so. You know, I've been uh, reading about you know ways to write songs in a product from a production perspective, and it's this um, this concept called a splurge, which I've been kind of trying to dabble with a little bit myself. And it's like you just take two or three hours, and whatever comes to your mind, just put all those ideas, just get them out, barf them out of your brain, and then go back, kind of like what you were just saying, Ben, uh, with uh, Desiree, where she was just you, you were just taking the best parts, the best flows that she had, and then putting them together as a song. And I, you know, I think that like you guys were saying, that's, that's one really cool way to do it. But I think it also, just in the little bit that I've been trying to do that, it can almost yield some of the best results too. Yeah, I'd, I'd speak to that as well. And I think one, one thing that's hard for me is getting stuck in the way that I do things. Like I'll, I'll like write a good song, you know, and then I'll be like, that worked. 
I'll do it again. Yeah, you have that but like, reinforcement yeah, bias. Yeah, I can get so stuck in that shit sometimes and just like knowing that I am like avoiding trying new ways to write stuff just because something has worked for me in the past. And this was kind of addressed before in like a different non-songwriter way when I was on a panel with pr some producers when we were talking about how people start their songs. And a couple people said they start with the drop. You know, some people sure. said they start with the drums and this and that. Starting with the drop had never occurred to me. That was mind blowing. Then finding out that like a lot of people do it that way was crazy. And then trying to make myself go in and do it was really hard. But I think I made a couple, I've made a couple songs in the past that I was really stoked on that I did that way. But it took me a while to like get there. I was too stubborn to try something new. That's really interesting. You know, maybe the key is mixing it up, you know, not getting addicted to the one way that you write music. Uh, the, and I think that every, everyone that writes songs maybe should push themselves to, to try to write in different ways. And, and by, um, you know, getting outside your comfort zone, uh, it actually ex expands, uh, your overall, what you're able to do, uh, creatively, your overall output. Um, I think that, uh, that, that, that's brilliant. You know, I, I, I start a lot of songs from the drop and, um, when I'm, when I'm talking about composition in classes, one, one word I like to put on that is compartmentalization. When you sit down uh, to write and you're trying to get the inspiration out, when you feel inspired, um, maybe some days I just want to write music and not do sound design. So that would be a day I sit around and I really write the notes, I get the rhythms, but I don't necessarily make a lot of new sounds. Other days I feel like, I need my bass, you know, and I'll sit down and just do some nasty drop. I think that there's a lot to be said about capturing whatever's inspiring you in that moment and modifying your writing style to fit with your inspiration. Totally. Absolutely, and learning yeah. to work around blocks in that way as well. Like, mm -hmm. um, I think homemade spaceship said that to me at one point. I remember we were talking about sometimes, you know, you can get, I have a rule where I call it the five minute rule where if I don't feel like producing that day, I'm not feeling creative. I'll make myself sit down for five minutes and most of the time I'll sit there for five hours after that, but it's just getting there and getting in the studio. Sometimes that can be the frustrating thing, but then beyond that, sometimes you can just sit there and feel like you're an idiot and like, you know, being an artist some days it's like, I'm the best in the world. And the other yeah. days it's like, man, I'm the worst ever. But his yeah. suggestion was, okay, well then don't write a song that day. Maybe make a new drum beat. Just make, maybe make some new tops. Maybe just make some sound design. You know, you don't have to make a song. Yeah, every there you day. go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really uh, it's cool obligation of feeling like you need to finish something and that, and that, 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 uh, basically makes a graveyard of projects in most people's project folder. Right. right. I think that if you, if you sit down and you just, you just commit to the small tasks every day, you know, write a melody, figure out a drum line, do a little sound design, then all it comes down to is how you manage those assets. And I honestly, working with um, young producers and people who are learning, that is one of the biggest things that anyone can do to improve their music is to manage their, their, their not only what they have, but what they're outputting. You know what I'm saying? Come up with a really good system for... It's keeping track of your melodies, your sound design, your your presets, um, and the music that you write. So when you sit down and you want to do a whole track, you have all these pieces and resources that are definitively your sound. Mm -hmm. 
And that's actually getting back to that thing I was mentioning about with the splurge. That's kind of like the whole concept. It's this dude. You might, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he's a house or techno producer. His name is Mike Monday. He's, I think he's out of the UK. Uh, but he has this whole system. I don't like subscribe to a whole lot of what he says, but he sends out these daily emails and somehow I got, I got on his mailing list and they're a really quick read and it's really oh, kind cool. of, it's really ingenious. Like he has this method. It, it's exactly what we're talking about right now, guys. He has this method of like, where if that's not working for you that day, you know, put it into an in progress folder, come back to it. And if you're not feeling, you know, like the composition side one day, you have something in progress and you can go in and, you know, the notes are already there and then you can kind of tweak the sound design. So at least you're doing something, at least you're progressing your your tracks that you like. That's so uh, like important for us as artists and like the personality that we innately have as artists because we need this constant validation. So all it takes is one day for me to feel like I didn't do anything worth a right. shit for me to think I'm a piece of shit. Like right. it's that's all it takes sometimes, you know? <laughs> so like even if I did sit down for that day and I only got I only could stand to sit there for 10 minutes, you know, and I didn't make anything at all, at least I can tell myself that I tried. Mm-hmm. And that some days, you know, that's kind of the get, I got out of bed at least, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's that, it's that, uh, going back to what you said, Megan, it's like that five minute rule. Like you go in there, the hardest part sometimes is just getting in there and, and opening up your DAW and, and starting something. It's like, it's like exercising and going up to the gym. The hardest part of doing it, of exercising is getting, at, getting in your car and going up to the gym. Yeah, no, you know? totally. Oh man. Tell me about it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, same I way think about everything. body resists change. Yeah. I think that just we we just don't want to change. So anything that you do that actually creates change actually takes some psychological effort. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. totally does. Absolutely. It kind of makes me think of um, in the war of art how they kind of quantize all, all these thoughts that yeah. we're talking about right now. And for those of you who haven't read the war of art, you should definitely go pick it up. It's like literally a three hour read. I read it on my flight from here to San Francisco, knocked yeah. it out, and I've read it multiple times since. But they basically take this whole just to sum it up really quickly, they take like any negative thought that you might have about yourself, about your music, about the prod, the process, just about whatever. And they quantize that and they kind of anthropomorphize that as something that they capitalize as the resistance, as this sort of like, you know, Star Wars enemy. And in my head, I can kind of hear those thoughts in that way now. And I can say, mm-hmm. okay, well, Megan, you aren't, you know, you kind of feel half dumb today and you're not going to make anything when t- if you decide to sit down and today's just not your day, so forget it. I'm able now to be like, oh, fuck you. That's the resistance. That's the resistance, yeah. And I can tell it to fuck off. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I mean, I so I know that. a lot of the people that, that listen to our podcast are kind of the creative type, and this book is geared towards creatives, but after reading it myself, I feel like a lot of the concepts in that book are good for everybody. They're good for da- everything. Anything, anything. It's yeah. geared towards art and like the overall It's geared toward like anyone who has a passion that's like a little too afraid to pursue it all the time. Right. It's really you, all it is. So. If you wanted to go start your own business and you need to do some research, like that is applicable as well. If you want, you know, just to be better at whatever job you're doing right now, even if you, even if it's just like a, you know, working on spreadsheets in a corporate environment, yeah. that also is applicable as well. So. Have you checked that one out before, Ben? Well, I think you just sold it to me. I mean, quick read, <laughs> highly effective. I'm there. Yeah, yeah you're going to love it, man. I'm uh, an Jesse idiot. Breda suggested it to yeah. me, and it was fantastic. If I can read it in one night, anybody can read it in one night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're not R. Kelly. Okay. <laughs> well, I can I can read, but I don't read <laughs> often. <laughs> Ooh, boom, roasted. Yeah. Well, thank God, thank God I'm not. So. <laughs> 
you know, um, one, one, one thing my girlfriend Catherine's been teaching me is, is very simple rule that she learned in Tibetan Buddhism is in the morning when you wake up, first thing that you should do, or among the first things, is just make your bed. I, you know? I absolutely agree 100%. And I do that. I try to do that every day. I did not today, unfortunately. But it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's this mental kind of thing. It kind of gets you over the hump of, and it, it's basically like you, you're telling yourself, oh, I already got something accomplished today. And now my room looks mm-hmm. like 100 times cleaner. And I always find an organized an organized area oh, is yeah. best like, for getting shit done. Oh yeah, like I cannot produce in yeah. a dirty studio. But right. This makes me think of my mom telling me when I got when I was like, "Mom, I'm going to be self-employed now." Okay, and she was like, "No, no." <laughs> um, but she was like, uh, "Well, make sure you get dressed every day," and I thought that was an interesting insight. And I think you know, like it's sort of a dress for the job you want sort of situation, but it right. is a get your shit together and get up and still be an adult. You don't have to sit around. I'm sit, I'm wearing sweatpants right now. So that's, I'm sorry, mom, but you know, like well, I was about to say, there's a lot to be said about producing in your pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like dress for the job you want, Megan. Yeah, I am dressed perfectly for it right now. I'm wearing my Coors light sweatshirt. I got my pants on from the airplane yesterday. Nice. Fucks with me. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I really like that. It's a mental clearing. When you wake up, and if the first thing that you can do is just knock out a couple of, you know, small tasks to make things a little bit nicer in life. Yeah. Then when you, when you fall into your, your own trance of, of creativity, you don't feel like you are leaving the world behind in a worse state than you found it in. That's yeah. a really nice way of thinking about it. Yeah. And I mean, there's a reason why, like in the military, that's the first thing they have to do as well. Yeah. It just kind of gets the ball rolling, gets, gets people's minds moving of accomplishment throughout the day. Yeah. Wow. You know, this is some great discussion because this, this has been such my life the last couple of weeks. I've been out here in uh, Applecross, Scotland, and uh, it's my, the first time in years that I don't have papers to grade and I don't really have anywhere else to be. And for the first time, I'm just really, really sitting with myself for the first time in a really long time and, um, turning around subsequently some of, uh, some of the most interesting music I think I've written in a really long time. And, and, um, so these topics of, you know, what, what is it to, to, to be in one's inspiration and to thrive um, is very pertinent in my mind right now. Yeah, I right. agree, man, completely. And like you asked when we kind of started all this when, with balancing touring and even when you are able to just sit with yourself, it's always a constant learning process because I'll find things constantly are not working for me that used to or that new things I'm finding are working better for me in terms of in terms of being productive, in terms of self-care in general, taking care of myself, feeling good all the time while I'm touring, you know, it's an exhausting lifestyle. Um, and even if you are just able to, you know, spend a whole month in the studio and just work, your mental health is still so important and, and difficult to maintain when you're not getting that tour validation. So there's just such a hard balance to constantly be, uh, maintaining and learning new ways to do that and what works for you as opposed to what works for other people and realizing that they don't, those aren't the same things all the time and that's okay. It's yeah, it's an exhausting process. It's a constant, 
it's a constant learning process. Yeah, it is. You know, every musician I could talk to, that is always a topic that you can jump right into a real topic, which is how are you balancing uh, shows and production? That is a great mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. And how have you, how have uh, you've been balancing that for the last six years, being able to kind of com- compartmentalize yeah, no uh, your teaching and, you know, being in charge of like what you said, being in charge of your students career and, ca- and caring about your students and making sure that they're feeling accomplished while also accomplishing music on, on the side for yourself, for the Z experience. Like how, how have you been able to juggle that? And while also having a life outside of all that exactly, as well. Exactly, and being able to go to China on New Year's Eve and uh, meet a, an amazing person. Well, that was that was tied to, to Z. Oh, okay. We were out there. We have an incredible agent in, in China. Um, actually, a former student of mine, his name is Juan. And he his music sounds like Mr. Bill. He has an incredibly good taste in music. And um, he, 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 what he wants to do is kind of bring that sound to China. Oh, shoot. Sorry, I'm getting a call. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Um, he wants to bring that sound to China, and he uh, partnered with some clubs and promoters and got Z two tours in China, and now we're we're making some some ripples in, in, in the underground. So that's awesome. We're bringing Juan over, by the way, as our stage manager on this next tour that we're about to do. Ooh, fun. Um, but, yeah, I, trust me, when I say that do, being a professor – and being a musician and having a social life and romantic life and a family life and stuff, balancing those things is definitely difficult. The, the good thing about working at a school, though, is that you have long breaks that are built into the job. So I had uh, spring breaks and winter breaks and, uh, and summer breaks. And during all my breaks, that's when I hit the road. And we would, for the last couple of years, we've we've scheduled Z tours to correline with my breaks. But the question that's it's always been, well, what if we didn't have that restriction? What markets could we hit that I couldn't hit if I was going to school? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a part of this sabbatical year is kind of exploring that, like uh, being available for the fall and the spring is, is quite a novelty for me. Um, right now, fortunately I'm working with an amazing manager with Anand uh, from uh, Revolution and the, the Unts, and nice. he has been a Z fan for a while. He's guided us. He's been like the third member of the band almost. And um, right now, uh, basically, we, we're sitting down to the calendar and saying, "All right, these are the dates where I'm most open and and most interested and available for touring. These are the dates where I would like to just sit in one place and produce music." And these are the little time with family and friends and not doing anything in between. And so those three categories, I look at th- six months in advance and try to find the balance. Interesting. That's a really good way to go about it. Yeah. Now, so one thing I was thinking about while you were saying this, because you have so much on your plate and you're doing this and, you know, Megan and I, and we've all been out there, we've all toured enough. It's so easy to, just kick back in the green room and have one too many beers. And for somebody like yourself, you have so much on your plate. Do you even, do you even drink at all? Cause I feel like sometimes if I go out and like have a couple, two or three beers one night, and if I had something to do in the morning, I'm going to be a lazy POS. I want to say I've drank a 
beer with Ben, but I could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that we were kicking it at size sleepover, and we 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 must have gotten into whatever stash they had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that you're right. <laughs> that was a, too fun of a little artist cabin. Oh my god! Uh, just to tell everyone about this, hilarious. Um, there, like, there was this weird little house sort of that they had all the artists like bunking and crashing in, and they had literally imported a Applebee's bar, like, like a full Applebee's bar. Wait. Like they the just like took shit. a bar and just brought it. The in. whole thing, like, like the stained glass up above the bar, like every, like they pulled, they pulled the whole bar out of there and like moved it on a okay. truck and like put it in a house. Okay. So anyway, that was like one of the most interesting so things Cadillac, I've seen Cadillac in a green room <laughs> in a while. Do you yeah. know the name of an Applebee's drink right now? The only reason I know that is because so I, I bartend at a taco tequila place <laughs> and we have margaritas and I get so many people that order Cadillac margaritas and I'm like, what the fuck is that? What the hell is it? I realize it's a it's a type of margarita that they sell at Applebee's, <laughs> and people just think oh it's a drink. <laughs> but it's oh, yeah. oh man, I really love those. Cat all it is is a, all it is a margarita with a Grand Marnier float on top. I mean, it's a delicious drink, but that's, it's the Applebee's name for that. That's so. hilarious. Oh yeah. my god. Oh, anyway, so yeah. Funny. What's the? Can you think of any weird green rooms that you've been in, Ben? Oh, plenty. Let's see. Um, this is in, a fun question. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, in Savannah, Georgia, there is a place that we played with Iodo where the green room bathroom has two toilets right next to each other. Oh, that's and fun. So you can hold hands? Like two places to shit where you're like right next to each other. And so me and Zebler were, were, were getting a, a kick out of this. We did an impromptu little photo shoot in there where we pretended to be very seriously um, you know, uh, uh, pooping right next to each other. And it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> so you hold, you can hold hands and get through the experience together. That's some, we live in public shit. Yeah. That also reminds me of that throne toilet in the old, uh, yes, the uh, one in Whitefish. Um, no, 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 Oh, no, no. oh, the old Cervantes, the, uh, the Cervantes other side, side yeah, toilet. Yeah. They fixed it. It's not there anymore, but it it's used to be like high so anymore. high up that like your feet would dangle off the ground. Like I felt like I was well, like, there was a like a six step, year old. There was like a step up to it. And then it yeah, was all very you had a good, like two feet clearance between the yeah, bottom of your Yeah, if you were shoe. too drunk, I swear, like that could be, that has to have been a disaster zone for some people before some very shameful shit. But you know what? Also the one that you brought up, the space toilet. In Whitefish. Yeah. At Casey's, right? Yeah, there yeah, was yeah. this toilet when you like walk in the room, the light would turn on and the toilet would be like, and the like the whole lid would like slide back and like slide into itself and just like disappear. And then it, you sat down and it was warm. Yeah, and it had like heated seats and stuff. <laughs> and it had like a bidet, like whole, like a little, I don't know, button pad. It was quite a bathroom. And then the next time I played there, actually, none of the thing, none of it worked. Mm. Like people had destroyed it. But Damn it. anyway, unfortunate. Green room you know, toilets. I, I, I recently revealed to my my girlfriend Catherine that the night I met her was the same night that I used the worst toilet of my life. <laughs> okay, yes. Go on. It, and it was actually it was well, there was no green room. We played at uh, the the our gig in China for New Year's. But there there was their main toilet, and you go in, and anyone who's traveled through China already knows what I'm about to say. They don't really have sit down toilets. They have the, like a piece of ceramic in a hole on the ground. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they got a, something you can hang on to, you know, 
if you're gonna be hovering over like a, a hole, like a, like a side or rail or a something. Hover? Are we? Yeah, still, we're just we're hovering. Okay, cool. We're not. Yeah, but uh, I mean, th- th- this had nothing though, and it was just it was so tedious. And me, I, I mean, I don't have as strong a calves as as it might look like. But, uh, I mean, I, I remember just like staring this toilet down going, I need to use you, but I don't want to. <laughs> and I sent a, a, a picture to my sister saying, I'm about to do this. Please wish me luck. <laughs> and it could have gone so wrong. And I realized now that the, the, that, my my what would become my future relationship with Catherine here was in jeopardy in that moment and i'm 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 so glad that it went one way and didn't because one little slip and i would have fallen over and had the worst new years yeah that is so true yeah that could have been bad that could have been bad <laughs> that's some slumdog millionaire shit right there <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad it all worked out for you. Uh, hey, before Luck was on my side, it I, was a lucky night. Uh, before we like, I could sit and talk about toilets for a long time, and like the creative process and the creative process of coming up with toilets and to- new toilet designs. Yeah. By the way, can we but, talk about that? Because whose but, idea was it to be like, hey, let's uh, take this bowl or that people fart in, and let's make it? What's the most echoey material we can make? Oh, ceramic. Like, what, who had the meeting? Who had the, the toilet meeting? That it was, was like, the, let's make it shaped like a speed. I think it was the Romans. Yeah, right? awesome. I think Nailed it. Was it. The Thanks, guys. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was uh, it was all just a ploy from like you know the emperors to make sure the peons and like the nor- the oh, lay yeah. people just knew where they Kings stood. Poop in square toilets. <laughs> yeah, no echoes. Okay, anyway. but no, I want I want to get back, Ben. I want to get to a little bit more in in your history and how you how you found music, uh, like. We, we find a lot of producers that we interview that either started with guitar or piano or whatever or voice. And I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. And like, so how did, how did you start music? How did you f- go from a child with an interest to where you are now? Oh, wow. What a great question. Well, my, my parents love music. And uh, when I was growing up, I felt like I was surrounded by all the, all the classics, you know, classic rock and funk and soul and R and B and um, and then as I got older, you know, I discovered rock and heavy metal, mm-hmm. and uh, I loved all of it. And I'm from Alaska, and um, well, Alaska, you probably, if you ever meet anyone from there, they'll tell you about how the winters are so dark and so cold. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get seasonal affective disorder up there because because they don't get enough sunlight. And when I hit teenage years, I definitely got depressed you know it, it was it was not uh, a, a very cheery and hopeful place to be it was dark it was cold and what, not what a lot of people did you around live in, by the way sorry sorry what city were you in uh, I, I grew up in in well I have uh, for up till 10 years old I was in Fairbanks Alaska oh, okay. and then through my middle and high school years I was in Kenai Alaska okay cool I lived in uh, Anchorage for a little while so I know what you're talking no about. No way. Yes awesome. way. I went down the Kenai Peninsula, but yeah, please keep going. It does get depressing there and dark as fuck. <laughs> uh, how, how long did you live up there? Um, I was there for about like nine or 10 months. I was managing a mountain bike shop over on Diamond Boulevard and not, well, I guess I moved out of the one that was more on Seward, but yeah. Yeah, I know Diamond Boulevard. That, isn't, that, isn't that funny? Yeah, Diamond, uh, the bicycle shop is what it was cleverly called. 
around since 1959. <laughs> wow. Very uh, you to know, the point. Huh? Anchorage is beautiful. Anchorage is. is beautiful. You see the mountains, you see the water, but not the place I'd li- like to live in Alaska for sure. It's chilly um, willy. So I grew up in, in this kind of a secluded environment, not a lot of people, not a lot to do. Um, and I really fell in love with music that I would download from Napster. I was really early adopter of MP3. And I think that Napster helped me um, discover music that I just couldn't find at the rare occasion. I would go to a CD shop and listen to stuff there. And, um, when I originally got into electronic music, it was because I was, Oh, I got into guitar first, started playing guitar and writing songs. And, uh, I got into electronic music because I knew every musician in a hundred mile radius around me. And I wanted to try things that I didn't necessarily have, and other musicians to try it with. So really it was just an endeavor of necessity. Mm-hmm. I got into it because I was trying to make sounds and drum beats and bass lines without having a friend around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, at the time, I mean, you know, this was probably late nineties, early two thousands. My big inspirations I think were, were Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails. Oh, and fuck yeah, dude. Nice. You're speaking my language. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> I saw a lady do karaoke of Dragula once, but I'm just leave that there. <laughs> oh, dope. Okay, next time we <laughs> kick it, Megan, we're going to have to go do Rob Zombie karaoke. Karaoke Dragula. I'm doing Living Dead Girl. And burn through the witches. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can't do it. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh the common thread between a lot of these artists i was really inspired by was they had the they had drum machines and synthesizers that just kicked it up to another level it was just like how do you go harder than hard how do you go darker than dark mm-hmm. there was this world of synthesis and drum machines i just i just thought was super cool and i think that the there was a couple of key electronic releases that really pushed me over the edge like apex twins come to daddy and uh uh, square pusher and prodigy oh my god i remember the first time i heard Firestarter and those kinds of of tunes uh the big Mm -hmm. beat tunes of that time and uh by the time i was 18 i had a little collection of of electronic tunes I had made and I applied for to school at Berkeley college of music in Boston and they accepted me. And, uh, from there I got out of Alaska and, and started making electronic music full time. That's How was the transition from Alaska to Boston? Had you been to Boston like a few times in like in advance or did you just have like, you wanted to go to Berkeley? I, re- I really wanted to go to Berkeley after doing the research. It was my first pick and I had never been to Boston before. In fact, I had never really been to—I had never really been to a city that much before. That's kind of what I was like wondering because I'm from Montana originally, and so having lived in Alaska as well, you know, I'm very accustomed to the sort of remote life. I mean, I'm from Great Falls, which is eighty thousand people, but still, the mentality is very similar. It's still very rural, and the closest t- big other town that's that size is you know three, four hours away. It's an enormous state. You know what I'm talking about. So like going to any, even Minneapolis, which was the first city that I, you know, quote city that I moved to was even a bit of a transition because I'm, I'm so used to something so much smaller and I can't even imagine going from Alaska to Boston. Boston intimidates me still. 
you know, just seeing buildings was a novelty for me when I moved to uh, Boston. And in Alaska, the oldest building we have is 50 years old, you know, anything older than that is just ancient history. And going to the place where, you know, America was invented (laughs) and seeing brownstones that go all the way back to you know, the early days of, of Boston, it was, it was like falling into a history book for me. And you want to know something strange 10 years later to the day is when I moved to Valencia. And then I got that feeling all over again, because you're, you're stepping into the even older world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's gotta be. So you've been kind of just going back in time as you've been getting older. It's like Benjamin Button. It's like reverse (laughs) Benjamin Button. I never thought of it that way, but you're right. (laughs) And now you're in Scotland, which might even be older. Yeah, holy shit. It is definitely. Wow, that's weird. Actually, um, let me tell you about where I am. Um, Applecross in Scotland is a site of a 5,000-year-old sanctuary. And it is where the oldest church in England is. There's a little church that is the founding place of Christianity in England. And on this ground, like where they decided to build this old church is also a a burial ground for ancient Vikings. And there are unmarked graves scattered about that, that, uh, that, that just give this very mystical edge of this area. So in in uh, the UK, a sanctuary is basically, I'm sure you guys have watched Game of Thrones. Oh, of course. Yeah, you know how they send you to the wall and they say, all right, if you're a criminal, you go to the wall and no one can arrest you and you don't have anything to do with the laws of man, the world of man, you're permanently at the wall. Right. A sanctuary in England functioned in that same way. If you had uh you know if you're a criminal or if you um if you could you know if if you were trying to basically just escape the world you could go to a sanctuary and live a uh, a pious life and uh the anything that you're guilty for outside of it doesn't affect you when you're in it so um this has been a a, a very very hallowed ground for 5000 years Oh, the other thing about the place where I am right now, uh, um, if you've been checking my Instagram stories, you can see the vista from where I'm staying is just gorgeous. And you can see all the way up the coast for miles and miles, the coast of Scotland. And then you can see all the way down the coast as well. And right where I am, this uh, property is called Eagle Rock. The reason it's called Eagle Rock is because there's a rock position on the very top that... Uh, of, of this kind of a hill cliff that we're on. And um, I'm sure you've seen uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, of course. Even better than yeah. Game of Thrones. Even better than Game of Thrones. So it's in Lord of the Rings. It didn't end as well, it, though. It, it, oh. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. <laughs> so, so they got in, in the Twin Towers, uh, at some point they light these beacons and, you know, another mountain sees the beacon and they light their beacon and then the mm-hmm. next one sees it. And that's how they can get important messages up and down, I mean, from across great distances. That concept was actually based on uh, what the Vikings did in Scotland. Wow. And this, uh, this place where I'm staying right now, uh, this, this, this beautiful sanctuary that Catherine has built, is right at 
one of the places where they used to light beacons at this rock called Eagle Rock. So we're at a place that's so visible that you can see it miles for, uh, up up one way and miles the other way. And if you lit lit up a beacon, then the next one would light. That's yeah, it's beautiful. Megan just pulled it up when yeah, you were I telling totally the story just your and story. Just showed it to me. And yeah, that's a it's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous place. Yeah, everybody go follow Ben on Instagram and you can go look at it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're, I, I want to start doing production retreats out here. I mean, the first time I came here, I feel like um, I feel like I, it, it very spiritually affected me coming here. And, you know, on top of that, I was also completely falling in love. And uh, so I, I feel a real connection to this land out here. And um, since moving out here, I've, I've installed uh, two sets of, of monitors and uh, there's all these nooks around the house. Uh, the, the, the side that faces the sea is virtually made out of glass. And uh, what I'd like to start doing is doing production retreats out here, either bringing groups of producers I know to come out and just soak in the landscape and, and create their masterpiece or do like educational things where people come out and I can be their private instructor for a week. I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of funny you say this because literally, again, on the last episode, we were talking with Caleb about this and he is going to like be renting. He wants to rent a and b in like Australia or New Zealand for like a month and essentially just have like Spoonbill and uh, like Opio and all those those guys come out and just, produce, just yeah. hang out for a so while. Like a month, month long. Yeah, I'm hoping like that, that it, this is like some new trend or something because it, like, that would be awesome. I will totally come to New Zealand and Scotland to make music. Yeehaw. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when these days people are making whole records on their laptop. All you really need to call something a studio is just a decent place to plug into speakers. Right. And some inspiration. Yeah. And I was, I was talking to Mr. Bill just uh, earlier today um, he's got, by the way, one of the nicest sounding rooms in Denver for sure. He had it all acoustically treated and he's been making such great music in there, but it's very much a cave. And, uh, even though it is a perfect place acoustically to make music, um, I think that maybe I would rather be looking out at this beautiful sunset and, and, uh, just a little bit of light acoustical foam and a nice uh, set of speakers is pretty much all I need to feel comfortable. Yeah, I completely agree with that, man. I think that there's a lot to be said for just situationally, like in, or environmentally, or I can't talk right now. I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. What, your environment, as opposed to it being like this perfectly, you know, audiophilic sort of situation. Right. right. I think there's something to be said for both. And, you know, like mixing up your environments, going back to what we were talking about kind of at the beginning of this interview yeah. and like just being able to just mix it up, kind of like how you're mixing up your approach to songwriting you can mix up where your location is and your inspiration. Sometimes being in, in a, a perfectly treated, a, you know, a cave, bat cave or whatever <laughs> is the, is what you need for what you need to write. And then sometimes being, right about by the sea and watching the sunset. I have a question. I have a question. Do you think anybody makes a product that essentially would like, I mean, this is probably a stupid question. 
uh, that would keep your computer cool and shade it from, and so that you can see the screen. Because one of my favorite things to do is, especially when I'm producing somewhere warm, is to go sit out on the freaking beach and all I want to do is honestly make music there. Right. My computer's going to overheat in like five seconds. Oh, yeah. You know and what you I can't mean? See the yeah. Sounds like a new business opportunity. Hey. Hey. Um, you know, it, it, cooling computers is a tough thing. I got an idea once. I said, all right, I got an idea. Why don't we just put a computer into a refrigerator? Wouldn't that keep it cool? I think it would. And it tur- No, it turns out that the way refrigerators keep things cool, if you put a computer inside of it, the re- fridge would eventually become the computer's temperature, not the other way around. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I suppose if it, yeah. was, pl- I suppose so if it was plugged pretty, in, right? yeah. Whoa. We have to do that sometimes at work, like if in the kitchen, like with the Vitamix, if the Vitamix overheats, we have to unplug it and then put it in the cooler to cool it down. Oh, but you it's know, not I, plugged in. I was working in, on so. a tune with uh, Halfred. Do you know that artist, Halfred? I'm not familiar, no. Oh, he's really good, really glitchy. He's on Merkaba Records and he's just from Italy. So we were, we were chatting online one day and uh, he asked me where I live. I said Valencia and he looked on ryan air and 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 he was like oh my gosh a ticket over there is just like 50 bucks i'm coming this weekend and so he would drop in on me every now and then just coming over from italy i gotta say he's one of the nicest producers that i've worked with but um uh yeah so uh he he likes to use he likes to spare no expense and use like 200 tracks when he does sound design and (laughs) both times that we were working on stuff the comp- my computer just overheated to the point of like not working. I just overheated and, when you said yes. that. Yeah, I looked over at Megan <laughs> and she uh, like, just glitched out. Like literally, I'm in like cataplectic shock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, I would I would uh, freeze peas and and uh, freeze all sorts of different pats of peas and switch them out <laughs> and keep the computer on top of frozen bag of peas, and it actually worked. It made a difference. Wow! Oh my god, that's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like it wouldn't run without the peas it was so funny without the peas that's so funny man. that's amazing dude that's so cool okay so here's a here's a question for you real quick how many languages do you speak oh gosh i um i'm sad to admit that uh i am only an american and i only speak one language that's not I, sad I, at I, all i'm, I'm not- just curious with all the traveling you must be like just a very competent confident person to be able to get around without without being able to speak all those languages um you know when it comes to directions and food i speak spanish all right (laughs) i agree with that yeah i can find a hamburguesa (laughs) yeah and you know i like to uh there's you can get by most places just by kind of speaking neolithic tongue like pointing at things and being like want (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> like kevin on the office yeah, why do many word when few word do trick yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly i mean it was definitely like that in china if it wasn't for having a guy with us having Juan with us i mean in in anywhere in europe you can at least sound out the words which is one of my favorite things to do in germany try to sound out a word in germany they're like oh. 50 characters in a word, you know? Yeah. Um, but in China, you can't even do that. It's all Chinese and you're just lost. So you got to just point at things and hope people know a little English. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the one nice thing I guess about being 
or that we do speak English is that it is the most universal language of all. Yeah. And I am ashamed to say like, oh, don't, we don't have to worry about it because they speak English. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of the way that it is. And yeah. like I had a foreign exchange student when I was 16. She was from uh, Bangkok. She still lives there. What up, Chinashnan? Anyway, um, she said she started learning English in the second grade. They learned our alphabet when she was like literally six years old. So wow. it's kind of, I'm a, I feel ashamed when I hear things like that. But I always enjoyed the foreign exchange students that we had in high school. We had this one guy, Frank. He was probably Frank? like, his name is Frank. Fran- I don't believe that. Franček. Okay. Franček. He's right, Slovenian. There we, there we go. Slovenian. But he, uh, it, he knew English really well, but the way, like the words that they had for things or like how he would explain things would be so funny. Like polar bears. He didn't, he called them ice bears. so so that was always pretty fun my my exchange student would always say chemistry instead of chemistry yeah yeah she said like like, she's like thanked me in her adulthood for telling her to how to say chemistry (laughs) like i'm like i forgot about that (laughs) you know i thought of a really fun name for a band uh, um aluminum zebra um especially if you pronounce it in british it'd be aluminum zebra Oh yeah, that's the other. That's that reminds me of uh, when people say zero. It's in other countries. It's Zed, right? Zed. Zed. And they also say garage. That's another one. Garage. Yeah, in yeah, the garage. garage. Yeah. We were talking about this last week with Caleb too about the different shit they say. Oh, they say you so know what? Of a cooler, I think me and Caleb need to hang out. It sounds like the the universe has brought us together. We have the same interests and ideas. It, you guys would love each other. Yeah, we were just talking about the chili bin. The, the chili the, bin. The cooler. You don't like. You don't put stuff in the cooler. You drink a cooler and you put coolers in the chili bin. Yeah, and, and you, you don't use the garbage. You put you throw things in the bin. Yeah, in the bin. that's right. That's right. And they don't have a word for candy. Like we were asked, we asked him what his favorite Halloween candy was, and he didn't know what that what the word candy meant. They call them lollies, sweets, lollies, sweets, and lollies, lollies. Oh, lollies. Yeah, yeah. A lolly. You mean a lolly? That's what he's. We're like, which? What's your favorite Halloween candy? He's like, you mean lollies? Yeah, he's like a candy. <laughs> he said a candy is a type of lolly. Yeah. it's like candy canes, like peppermint is. <laughs> Hey, I heard some good Scottish slang the other day. A ride. That means someone that's super hot. Oh, really? Yeah. What a ride. (laughs) I remember that one. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one thing I've noticed uh, living over here in the UK is how much they love the word kit. Kit. Um, Kit just means stuff. Just means stuff? Yeah. And they use it instead of stuff. So, you know, if you're getting ready to leave, they say, do you got your kit? Huh. And it's such a cute word, you know, it got my little, when I think about, you know, use, when I think about kitten American English, I just think about a little lunchbox or something. Right. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Well, this is tiny tangential, but Pat's been making me watch a show called the deuce lately. And they really like to use this term, the nut. And they keep, they say it about like getting your money at the end of the night. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every like 10 times. I know, but like 10 times, they overdo it. Like 10 times (laughs) they're like, I just need to get my nut. (laughs) It's just like, Oh, all right. We got it. Yeah. That's, that's probably a part of it. They probably know how funny that is. They probably do, dude. It's probably hard for them to keep that straight face. <laughs> Give me my nut. <laughs> uh, so, Ben, um, before we wrap things up here, I want to ask you about what, I mean, obviously you're on a sabbatical here and you, you mentioned you guys are going to be ex- kind of exploring more avenues as far as where your gigs and tours might take you. But do you have anything um, upcoming here that you can share with us where people can find you guys? Uh, awesome or just question. you? Uh, 
Yeah, let me let, let me give you the full plug. So Z just released our music video uh, for the song Transcend, which came out on Wakan uh, back in the spring, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's on the Wakan socials right now. It dropped on Halloween, and I think it's a really cool video. It's something that we premiered at the Wakan Festival, and and uh, it, I think it really left a good impact. And at the same time, it premiered on EDM.com, and that was the same moment that we announced our winter tour. Uh, We are starting things off on November 15th in Pennsylvania, and then we are mostly hitting the south where it's nice and warm. And then I'm doing a West Coast run all the way up to December 20th. So that's going to be with Justin Conti? No, I I don't really play as in Conti because all the music I make, I... I brand under Zebler and Canty experience. And just to, you know, just, just to kind of set the record straight on that, Zebler and I view Z as more than just a musical outlet moniker. We are a concept that is, um, that's, we, we really started off in, in art galleries. We, we didn't, weren't, wasn't making stuff that was for the dance floor. We were making audiovisual art. And uh, so I like to think that a lot of that initial weirdness and artiness still remains even in, in embedded into our um, bass music and dance music. Um, so I, I, even though I write all the music, Zebler has a lot of creative input and, and kind of veto powers over, over where I explore and where I go. He's been such a guiding brother for, for making this stuff. Yeah. And he does all the visuals in this. And at this point, either of us could play like a DJ set as Zebler and Canty experience. Uh, but for the most part, when we're together, we try to do AV. And when I go on tour, um, I will be appearing as Zebler and Canty experience though. Uh, if I'm just alone by myself, it'll probably just be kind of a audio only set. Okay. And I guess we, you know, we did, we got so caught up in our conversation. We didn't even touch on this, but how did you and Zebler hook up? How'd you guys, uh, what was the inception of the of the experience here? Well, um, I had just finished school at Berkeley College of Music, and I went to a party at MassArt, and Zebler dropped this piece he made called Glitch, and it was about 15 minutes long, and it was three screens at the same time, which is a format we still do, Zebler specialty high-definition format, and it blew, it blew my mind. It, it was so, so... Uh, uh, evocative and raw and interesting and and kind of a little crazy. And uh, we uh, originally met. Um, my girlfriend at the time grabbed me and dragged me over to him and grabbed him and said, "This guy makes music like you make audio, like you make visuals." And uh, shortly after that, we started working on stuff together, and it just really it really clicked. We we have almost no artistic differences at all. I really let him be himself and explore crazy dimensions. And he does the same for me. And I think together the, uh, the sum is, is worth more than the it's parts. That That's amazing. And that's amazing that you can have that mentality as well. It's kind of a rare mentality to have. It is really hard also to find yeah. that person. So I'm very envious in a really, in a good way. Mm-hmm. That's really cool for you guys. So that would have been what, like around 2005 ish. Yeah, yeah, actually. Um, we have to be about the same age, you and I. 2007. Oh, 2007? Okay, yeah. I think we're probably around the same age because I remember you were talking about Napster and, and I remember when Napster came out and 
That's how I uh, first heard Metallica's The Black Album. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, me too, man. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty sick. <laughs> and uh, using like Winamp and all of those old old applications. Man, I miss Winamp because I, I just want to say this out loud in public. Fuck iTunes. <laughs> yes, it's so... Ugh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is just so dumb. I just want a playlist of my songs on it like Winamp. Yeah. Yeah. Something simple. And I like, so I just upgraded my MacBook to Mojave and it automatically downloaded the new iTunes and I was really bummed out. And now I have to like, now it's even more annoying, annoying, like to try to, the interface sucks. Yeah. You know, somebody said to me one time, they were like, you know, there's a problem when the world's largest tech company also owns the world's largest music distribution company. And I was like, Oh yeah. Oh my God. I was like, holy crap. Like why do these people with these interests have anything to do with music? Right. And that right. made me cringe right. and right. I've hated iTunes ever since. Yeah. I've tried not to use it for years, but sometimes you have yeah, to. I've been enjoying the interface uh, for Spotify more Absolutely. and more. Uh, Spotify was, well, Spotify when it came out was kind of like when iTunes was really simple and you just had like a whole laundry list of your music and that's kind of like Spotify has kept that. They haven't had to change it because it was it's like already ideal. Just kind of like it's a little bit more spruced up version of like what Winamp was. And and yeah, exactly. That's funny. Spotify is uh, 2019's Winamp. I like that. Yeah. Just with like a little cooler, you know, graphics. Yeah. yeah. Dark mode. Dark I, mode I, I, say, I, I think a lot of people shit on Spotify, but honestly, I, I've actually made some good money on Spotify. A lot of people are like, Artists don't get represented on Spotify. They don't make their money, you mm. know. But I mean, I think that those artists just have bad deals with their distribution companies. To tell you the truth, yeah, I think what when it happened, and I was I was working for a Universal Music Group at the time when the Spotify beta came out, and my roommate worked for Broadway Across America, so he had a he had like a passcode to get people in on the beta. So I was doing that. And at, for the longest time I had so many CDs and I still do like at my parents' place stored in my closet. Uh, but with Spotify, you don't need any of that. It's like you have everything on your fingertips. Now they have all of the deals with all of the major labels that it has all of everybody's back catalog. Everything's on there. And it was kind of like a chaotic time. Uh, I, I want to say around like 2000, mm, 2012 through like 2015, and a lot of the complaints that I would read about, about people not getting their fair share on Spotify were people who were used to having major record label deals and were getting paid more for that. And then now when Spotify came out, they weren't seeing as much. But what kind of like went under the radar was that Spotify, for people who didn't have major record label deals or anything like that, it gave them more of an opportunity. And now I think what we're starting to see is more of a balance between that. So we now have uh, services like Symphonic Distribution and um, you know TuneCore and some of these other things that you can make music uh, without any any recognition and people don't need to know who you are and you can put it up there and all of a sudden you can start making money off of it. Even if it's a little bit of money, you can start making some money off of it. And that's a, yeah, I think that's a nice free money. Just all of a sudden you get a check and you're like, damn, a thousand bucks. All right. Yeah, cool. Exactly. And these people, you know, may never have started a band, uh, like alluding to what you were talking about before in Alaska, just out of necessity, making electronic music for yourself. And they may have never had an opportunity like that before. And now that you now with the advancement of technology, you can put that out on Spotify. People can find it and 
now they have their foot in the game. To add on to this really quickly, um, because I've just been encountering a little bit of this lately. It is awesome that people have the opportunity to make money that normally wouldn't be able to access or maybe to distribute to such large DSPs. That being said, go sign up for ASCAP or um, if you're in... If you're in Australia, go sign up for Abra or go to BMI. Go sign up at a publishing company for yourself. Get your IPI number and save that shit on your phone and your email and every damn place that you can think of. Because I've been dealing with trying to get some IPI numbers from some people that I've worked with in the recent past on remix albums or just my my own LP. And there's some people that don't even have publishing accounts. And it's like, well, you know... I, I it's not like musicians are rolling in the dough over here. So I don't see why anybody would ever just be like, I don't want the money for my music. So make sure that's, I think something I'm I'm not like mocking those people, but I think it is something that some people are just like, and whatever. And some people don't know about it. I think it's a lack of, of education on it. And I, there's a great author out there who was a musician actually from Minneapolis now lives out in LA. His name is Ari Herstrand. And he just updated his book and it's all about the modern independent musician. I forget what it's called, but I need to go buy my own copy. Yeah. About it. And it, it covers all of that stuff. It covers uh, your publishing royalties, um, like basically mechanical. It sounds like very et cetera, confusing et for everyone. I he know makes it really, sorry, he makes yeah. it really go just easy. out of your way to, to learn anything you can about it. Cause I promise you that in the long run, like Ben is saying right now, the people that aren't making any money from DSPs are the people that don't know what don't don't know what they should be doing to make money from DSPs. So right. if you're a young artist, I'm stoked for you that you can go put your stuff out, but go make your money from it. Right. I'm a hundred percent with you, Megan. And I mean, when when I'm working with an artist either on a collaboration or a remix record, that is that should be one of the first things you ask them. Do you have an IPI number and what would you like your split to be? It's never too soon to have that conversation with someone that you are working with on some professional musical level. You're so right. And also it comes back to haunt you when you don't have that conversation because you can get in arguments about what was agreed upon, even if nothing was agreed upon. And if there was nothing ever in writing, then you can argue that until you die. Um, it's just, and, and also now I'm doing a lot of cataloging for my own discography so that I can be able to, you know, market my music to sync and publishing and licensings and things like that. And if I don't have IPI and split numbers for people, then I can't get them their money. So it's important for me. It's important for you. It's important for everyone that wants to be involved in selling their music, that they have those things together. And that's something that I, like what you're saying, I also need to be better about that as well. It's caused me a lot of tedious um, time in Google Sheets in retrospect because I didn't do it in the first place. Uh, To tell you the truth, it is not my strong point. I hate thinking about money. I hate thinking about, especially with music you're putting out, you might only be making a couple pennies per week it feels like you know and it feels like it's not enough to care about or think about and you just want to focus on making stuff i'm a hundred percent with everybody that relates to me there because i am just that that's where my i'm at but once you have that ipi number once you've done that initial bite the bullet and, and get all that stuff set up like you know like you said keep it in your in your notepad have it on hand and you'll never have to really worry about it again it just once it's there 
um, and any label you work with or anyone, they just know what to send the money to. And it looks good. It looks good for you to know that, you know, like sometimes when I talk to people and I'm like, yo, uh, who, who's your pub company and, and you know, where can I put this split? What, what's your IPI number or whatever? And people are like, mm, I'm not really sure. You know, you should know that. Like if you're a touring artist, you should know where that to access that like pretty much immediately. That's so important. So I, I don't think there's anything like unbusinesslike about, about it. And it's not a personal thing. It's just something that needs to get done. Like you were saying. So. Yeah. Sooner the better with anyone, anyone that's uh, publishing music for sure. Cool. Yep. Uh, and on, on that note, guys, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, ben, thank you so much for joining us and to all of our listeners go out and where, where can they find you? Find you on all the socials of Zebler and Canty experience. And, yeah, uh, go check out Zebler and Canty Experience. The next two, the tour is called Trance End, and we are bringing our audiovisual styles to most cities. Some dates I'll be doing an all audio set, um, including uh, which I'm most excited about. I'm playing at Meow Wolf. Nice, congratulations in awesome. Santa Fe always or Denver. Yeah, always wanted to. Nice, congrats, man. Awesome, awesome. All right, Ben. Well, uh, have a great tour, and we'll. We'll catch up with you soon, man. Yeah, thank you so much, dude. It was really great to talk to you. This was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you, Patrick. Really good to talk to you guys. And uh, I can't wait to go uh, check out those uh, other podcasts that you've done. And uh, K1, right? What's that? That's the last guy. The last guy was K1. K-Lab. Yeah, K-Lab. K-Lab. I don't know his stuff, but now I need to. I feel like we're brothers. You'd love him, man. You're going to love his music. He's the best Kiwi on the planet. Anyway, (laughs) tell Catherine we said hi. Thank you so much, Ben. Have a great day. I will. Thank you. You have a nice day, too. Okay, that was great, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. And it actually worked out okay because it was only like five at night. I thought it was going to be like some weird like four in the morning interview that we scheduled here, but it worked out okay for both sides. Yeah. I feel like uh, generally that area, the little aisle mm-hmm. only six hours ahead. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Anyway. So Megan, you are going to have a lot of exciting dates coming up here in the next few months. Uh, tomorrow you are flying out to go jump on uh, Aaron uh, to jump on Sodown's tour. Yeah, uh, flying out at 8 in the morning tomorrow to go to Kalamazoo, Michigan, where weed is legal. It Woo! is. Also, I mean, in Michigan, yeah. poor water. Um, I won't be near Flint. Okay. So I got that going on. Good. Um, but I do have to fly to Detroit, but I like techno. It's cool. Yeah. And then um, we're going to drive down to Urbana, Illinois, play at the Canopy Club. And then drive over to Columbia, Missouri, which is crazy because I have a few friends who are from there and they're all hyped that I'm finally coming there. They Columbia, have to Missouri, go to I've Kansas never even City. heard of that. What's it there? Is a What's thing. there? Is it a college school, a college town? Or I what? believe so. Hmm, interesting. I, I met several people when I moved to Minneapolis that were from there. So I wonder if it's they've a, since moved actually to Kansas City for work and things, but they, they're going to yeah, come home. I wonder for if the it's show. Mizzou. I bet it is. I bet it is. Perhaps it is. Perhaps it is. Anyway, then you're coming back home. Yeah, then to Minneapolis at the Piggy Bank yeah. in Uptown. And then I have a, a day off, actually, because the Fargo show was actually canceled. We'll get that rescheduled here soon. But mm-hmm. if you didn't know that and you didn't see what was announced online, yeah, the Fargo show has been canceled. So I assume I'll be in town for probably one more day after that. Mm-hmm. That will be then, nice to just be able to kick it for just the weekend. And sure. then 
got to hop in the Sprinter again and um, drive across North Dakota, Montana, Idaho, and hit Moscow, Idaho, and then uh, Spokompton, Spokane, Washington, and then Seattle, and then Portland. And then I'm going to hang out for a day because it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm flying home, and then I get to sleep in my bed, and then I'm waking up, and I'm flying to Denver mm-hmm. to play the Meow Wolf show. To play that Meow Wolf show. And then, and, you have, and then you have all of birthday month off, right? Pretty much. Until uh, New Year's Eve, I'll be opening for Hippie Sabotage in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Fillmore. Shit. What are we doing for your birthday? I think we're going to have a robe pub crawl. So everyone's going to wear robes like the Big Lebowski, and we're going to... Do we have to drink white Russians? We're going to pre-batch white Russians, uh. and we're going to walk around, and we're going to go bowling at Elsie's, and then we're going to see where we end up. That sounds actually like a fun time. Yeah. So Can't wait. If you see a bunch of people in robes walking around Northeast <laughs> Minneapolis, it's, probably it's me. Yeah. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday month to you. Dirty 30. It's, you know what? Your 30s are better. Are they, Pat? No. You were just telling me you peaked at 27. Yeah, I know. Okay. All right. On that note, everybody, we will see you next time. Megan's going to be super <laughs> Megan's going to be super busy. Uh, I might be able to do a couple interviews, a couple episodes on my own accord between now and then. Uh, but if that doesn't work out, we will talk to you guys in December. And on that note, you guys have a great day. Cool, 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 cool. Bye.